Hello, everyone. John Leahy with you. And uh, we want to welcome you back to the next edition of the podcast. We have a very special show for you this week. It is a reunion episode. We're going to be talking with some members of a minor league ball club that I worked with uh, back in the 2008-2009 season with the Kalamazoo Kings. And uh, I want to thank my guest last week, who was the uh, radio voice of the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Tim Neverett joined us. And we're going to stay on the baseball theme this week. And uh, what better show to promote on Thanksgiving week than uh, a wonderful reunion episode. Joining us, a few members from that ball club. We have a relief pitcher, Ben Shivers, is with us. Our big designated hitter, our power hitter, Brendan Murphy, is with us. Also, outfielder uh, Jeff Gross has uh, joined us from the state of New Jersey. And uh, guys, first of all, I want to welcome you to the podcast. And I know it was uh, 12 years ago, but uh, I'll tell you, it seems like it was yesterday. We had so much fun, didn't we? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So you, so you said it was 12 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to just spend the whole time here just talking about stories, uh, some of our favorite memories of the time back then. And let me start by talking about travel. You know, that's really unique. We do all our travel on buses. And uh, I, I was talking to you guys off the air about, uh, you know, the experiences we have on a bus. And I remember a night we were coming home from Chillicothe, Ohio, when we got stranded on the side of the road all night, overnight. They had to send a new bus for us from Michigan. And uh, Murph, I'll start with you. Uh, that was a night where none of us got any sleep. No, absolutely not. I, it's funny when we were talking before, that's, memory started rolling back from that night i remember sitting in the back with matt hudgens i don't know if you remember matt hudgens catcher right uh, yep catcher yep. we were sitting back there and all of a sudden he just he, i remember him saying it was like murph do you smell gas and i was like well i was like well now that you mention it yeah i do and literally within like two or three minutes later bus literally just started breaking down next thing you know we're pulled off the side of the road and I mean, I don't think we were on the road for more than an hour, and we were stuck there for, gosh, a solid seven, eight hours, at least before we got help. Yeah, and we had to call the bus company in western Michigan to send a new bus. Now, that in and of itself took about uh, six or seven hours for them to get down there. Jeff, you were on that bus, too. Uh, do you recall that night? Yeah, yeah. I remember being uh, pretty uh, miserable when we found out that they were sending a bus from Western Michigan to come meet us, uh, knowing how long that would take. And um, actually thinking about it, I remember, you know, picnic tables being at that rest stop that we were at. And I remember, I believe, laying on actually on the top of a picnic table instead of being, you yeah. know, on us. Uh, we were all spread out around the, the rest stop, um, just waiting uh waiting for that next bus to get there so we could get home. Ben, I don't think you were on that bus, though, were you? But uh, if you weren't, uh, what was your what was your craziest uh, travel experience? Um, well, no, I was not on that one, thankfully. Uh, I didn't want to be any part of that now that those guys start talking about it. Um, the worst experience I had was probably just the length of travel the following season. Uh, I think I was with Florence, and we had – a trip from Traverse City all the way down and around to uh, uh, Washington, PA. And I think the total time it took us was like 13 and a half hours to get there because 
the bus drivers have those mandates where they can only drive for so many hours and then you got to take a break. So we, we kept taking these breaks and the bus driver was, I don't know, felt like we we're driving Miss Daisy. Long story short, it took us about 13 hours and I'd never been so uncomfortable on the bus. I slept underneath seats. I slept on top of seats. I kicked somebody out, was sleeping, standing up against the bathroom door. It's, that was probably the worst experience. By the time we got out, I didn't want to ever be back on a bus again, so. Murph, we talked about this off off the air, and uh, we I we had a game the next day at four o'clock on a Sunday. Nobody got any sleep, but we went out and won the game on that Sunday afternoon. Well, yeah, we did, and it, I remember it was a pretty close game because we I forget who we were playing, but they were already warmed up, literally sitting there waiting for us. And like we mentioned before, with Grossy, like it was literally a show and go. Like we just showed up, we literally pulled out our clothes we wore from the night before changed went pitcher warmed up i think uh joe d was pitching that game Um, (laughs) and i mean we just i mean in true king's way we just figured out a way to win and just shoved it brought us brought us together (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, what what do they say about going on the road you bond as a team right well there was no (laughs) there was no greater bonding experience than that huh Oh yeah, we had no. We were always bonding on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other memory that comes to my mind, guys, was uh, the flood—the big flood we had in Kalamazoo when the field was underwater with all the rain we had. That was in the championship season uh, of '08 when we played Windy City in the finals. The the ballpark was underwater, and and Jeff, I'll start with you. Um, It really looked like a lake, and we wound up having to go to Chicago to play the whole series. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was actually that storm was uh, pretty scary, if I recall correctly, um, when it hit. And then, you know, we knew it was bad. I think it, we had a tough time even getting over to the fields from from where where I was staying, um, just due to the flooding. And then once we got over there, you know, it hit us that uh, it was not looking good. The field was under a couple of feet of water just sitting, you know, on top of the field. And yeah, with, you know, reality set in that, you know, this probably might not happen here and we might have to go on the road here. It was pretty crazy because honestly, I didn't even know that we had a river or a Creek, whatever you want to call it going behind the field, honestly. So when, when everyone was telling me, Hey, you know, the field's two, three feet underwater, I thought they were just, you know, blowing smoke and then showed up and I was like, Holy crap. Like, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So that, that, that was another, like there were literally people like, in canoes and kayaks going out on the field and through the parking lot. It was crazy. I think it made a big difference in the series. I think if we had a couple of games in Kalamazoo, I think the the whole uh, series would have been different. Yeah, Yeah, I I 100% agree. I mean, yeah, Homer Stryker was kind of, it wasn't, it easily wasn't the, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. like Fanciest place to play. Yeah. Easily not the fanciest place to play at, but you know it was it was just a place where we, for some reason, we just we just loved to play at. You know, so we it it was without a doubt a, a significant factor of us not getting. Uh, I know, I know, I I I remember maybe making a couple of plays in the outfield, um, but I know I I recall not hitting the ball well in that series after we uh, went down there. Um. But, yeah. yeah, and then I see, uh, you know, Kevin Wilson and uh, all those guys from uh, Windy City 
you know, posting their uh, Phil Hawk and them posting their rings from that series. And, uh, you know, it's a little bittersweet, you know. I got to tell you, that was the quietest bus ride I've ever been on after game three, after we lost at Windy City. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, you're representing our pitchers here. Uh, What kind of a ballpark was Homer Stryker to pitch on? Uh, Not friendly. Uh, okay. I thought I thought the ball jumped pretty hard out of that place. Um, I know I gave up a, a couple moonshots. Um, I think my first outing ever in pro ball in 09, I got put in. I I think I walked the first guy, hit the second guy, and then gave up an absolute missile off the. Uh, the press box or not the press box, but thought, well, that was probably not the best official start to my career. Um, <laughs> got a, got a pretty good talking to after that one, but um, no, really it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough spot to pitch in ball jump pretty well, but we had a very talented outfield. Um, I've always stated that when you had guys like BA uh, Simon Williams and Grossi running around, it was always pretty easy to throw to. Uh, I didn't learn that fast enough in my career as a young rookie. I just tried to throw. I didn't really pitch, but um, those guys, those guys did a great job of tracking balls down and making, making the life of a late inning reliever a little bit easier to swallow there. Those games could be changed pretty quickly in a ballpark like that. So you're definitely aware of it coming out of the bullpen that, you know, you gotta, you gotta be inside on the hands or you gotta be out off the dish. Um, You can't really leave too many mistakes across the plate. Let's talk about Fran Reardon uh, and what he was like to play for. Now, uh, Fran might be on the cusp of something special there in Las Vegas with uh, Oakland. Uh, Bob Melvin has moved on to San Diego. There's going to be a vacancy in Oakland. Wouldn't it be cool to have Fran as a major league manager and saying, hey, we knew you back when? Let's start with you, Jeff. Uh, What kind of a guy was Fran to play for? Oh, my, uh, you know, I saw Amos Ramon post that. Uh, He posted something about it um, last week and, you know, he, he was an, he, he's an unbelievable guy. You know, I, I came in, you know, I remember him telling me vividly, you know, you're eight out of eight on the depth chart, you know, to make this team. And I was a rookie who, you know, didn't get drafted out of college and ended up, you know, meeting with him three times throughout that spring training and, and made the team. Um, you know, he believed in me and my ability and, you know, a lot of other people didn't. And, you know, I appreciated that. And I know everyone who played for him, you know, kind of had that same that same feeling you know as you know this is the kind of guy you want to go out and play for every day what about you Murph what are your thoughts no I'd agree with that 100 and one thing I think Fran was really good about um is kind of knowing how almost how to coach almost every individual person you know some people need to be coached like I need you to yell I need you to scream at me you know to get me going to get me back where I need to be or he's the kind of person or there's some players where, you know, hey, you know, I kind of need to be, you know, coddled a bit, need to be a little, you know, don't need all the yelling all the time. He knew exactly what buttons to push on a person and when to push them. And like you were mentioned with that opening in Oakland coming up, I couldn't see a better fit in there for that, for that reason right there. <clears throat> yeah, and Fran was just the kind of guy that you respected. If he, uh, if he addressed the team – with a message, you listened because he, he, he wasn't the type to give speeches, but he went, you know, when he got angry, you listened. And I remember uh, uh, one particular time we were uh, in Florence, I think, 
and there was a problem with some guys drinking and, and Fran uh, got up and, and addressed the team and said, you know, if I get one more call from the hotel people, I'm going to trade you, you know? And uh, he does, he wasn't that kind of guy to make that, those kind of speeches. But when he talked, you listen, Ben, uh, let me get your thoughts on that. Well, first and foremost, I was one of those guys. So let's just go ahead and throw that out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we, uh, first off, Fran's a, Fran's a fantastic guy. He really is. Um, I don't think Jeff and Brandon could have said it any better to the, his personnel. And um, there was a lot of no nonsense. He was one of the few managers I played for that, it was great to see someone have higher expectations of what you had for yourself. Uh, for me, that always pushed me. Um, I was a guy that needed to be poked in the chest. I needed to be yelled at a little bit. I needed to be told there was higher expectations. There was a bigger belief. There was a bigger purpose. Um, and you're right. When he spoke, he was one of the few people in my life that I really sat down uh, straightened up and listened to. And, uh, you know, we had some instances where, you know, pro ball guys are going to do what they want to do. Um, it, it's to some degree, it's hard to control that. Um, I was young. I was wet behind the ears. If you want to call it that I was having a good time. And, uh, that was definitely a scenario where he straightened me up and, and let me know that nothing's secure, you know, just like Jeff stated, um, you know, he told me flat out for me to make that team out of spring training in 2009 was going to be difficult. And, uh, he gave me a chance and that was, uh, that was a very special moment to me in my career when I look back on it. And it was also a special moment to me when and, uh, he traded me. Um, I don't look at it as a negative. He told me uh, in the office that I could have easily just released you, but um, I think you're worth it. And I'm, I'm going to give you a shot to go somewhere else. And I've always respected him for that. Uh, I thought he was to the point, I thought he was professional. I thought he was honest. And when you're dealing with guys at a professional level, they don't want to hear all the ins and outs. They just want to know the truth. Um, and so I've always respected Fran. I've never, I've never thought anything other than that's a class, you know, class A type guy. He definitely holds very high standards. And I think the players gravitate towards that. And I've, I've always loved playing for a manager, a coach, if you will, who represents that type of character. Well, let's talk about the time uh, John Brownell accidentally locked himself in the uh, in the toilet on the bus. Were you guys there that night? Oh, I don't know what you that. <laughs> do you remember that? I I do. I completely forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> that, that was a night, Jeff. I don't know if you were there. You probably were. And uh, we uh, Brownie goes in to use the bathroom. He accidentally gets himself locked in there, and he's really struggling. He's really struggling in there for half an hour. I hope the guy wasn't claustrophobic, but Fran had to go to the back of the bus with a toolbox yeah. and uh, try and get this guy out. It was, I tried not to laugh, but it really was comical. Yeah, it was always something, right, on those buses, I swear. It was, <laughs> he, and he, he honestly thought it was because I, I always kind of sat towards the back on the bus rides, and he, I remember that. I, I completely forgot about that, but he, he thought we were – we had it locked up, tied up, so he couldn't get out with like a belt or something. But it was, yeah, he had to literally unscrew the whole door to get him out. The ordinary for something like that to happen to, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hold the door for a little bit. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
So we went on a lot of road trips. Was there a particular place that each of you uh, enjoyed going on the road? I'll start with you, Ben. Uh, what, what was your favorite? When you were with the Kings, uh, was there a particular ballpark you enjoyed going to uh, and playing on the road? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought this will sound crazy to some people. I really loved playing at Bossy Field. Um, there was a there was an aura there about that place. And I don't know that it necessarily sat in just all the history with it and the nostalgia, but the locker rooms and the clubhouse, if you want to call it that, I get it was outdated. It was rough. That part was never great, but they always packed the house. It didn't matter what weekend it was. Um, in fact, in 2009, my, my rookie year, we went there, and they set an attendance record three nights in a row. We played a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on Sunday night or Sunday evening, I think it was, which is crazy because it's normally a getaway day, they had like 8,000 people. And it was standing room only. I had, I had beer spilled on me in the bullpen because the fence was, I think, two feet tall. And yeah. people would just lean over <laughs> and tug on your jersey and stuff. And I actually got to pitch a couple times in that series. And I'll never forget pitching in front of, you know, 8,500 people. It's just, it's a crazy experience. They're, they're very good at heckling there. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> and it was hard for the hitters to see the baseball. So I loved it. You know, it was always a really good experience for me. The batter's eye was a white building. Like, come on. <laughs> we won't talk about that, Brendan. We won't talk about that. All right? Murph, what about you? Did you have a favorite ballpark you liked on the road? Oh, I would honestly have to say probably Gateway. Yeah. Gateway Grizzlies. I like yeah. their their park. It was kind of the same. They fans, they were rough. For some reason, they did not like me um, from first time I stepped on the field to the last time I did three years <laughs> in. But They wanted you. That's why. They wanted you. That's why. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> But I think, I think part of the reason, too, is just that, um, it, I don't know, it was just, I just, it was in the same thing. There wasn't that much foul territory, especially on the on-deck circle in the baseline area. So, I mean, if I, if I remember correctly, the fences were short there, right? So that was, that was a home run hitter's uh, paradise. Yeah, in right field, it was like 300 feet with a two-foot wall. Like, it was yeah. stupid. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I like I like that. Plus, you just kind of got to see the skyline of downtown St. Louis on the right. first place side. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, from the press box, you had to walk out on the concourse and look at it from uh, op the opposite side. But it was really something. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Do you have a favorite ballpark on the road? Yeah, I remember Gateway being hot, hot. Oh hot. yeah, one that one game. Yeah, wasn't it like 120 on the field that one game we played? It that was, was, yeah, that was a Wednesday afternoon. And I talked to Mike, I talked to Mike Russell, our catcher after the game. Oh and he, he said it was so hot. He actually stopped sweating. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was an experience. I, <clears throat> I remember us getting rotated out. I think I came out in like the sixth inning because I was like literally about to pass out on the field. Yeah. There were people uh, dropping uh, like flies. That day. Yeah. <laughs> I think we lost. Yeah. I think we lost an umpire that day too. He, yeah, he, we had to finish the one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for for me, as far as uh, favorite places to play, um, the first uh, there's two. I would say um, Washington because Washington was actually the closest um, 
place that we played as far from New Jersey. So I had a lot of family that would come out to Western Pennsylvania and come watch me play there. So obviously enjoyed playing there. And they had an awesome backdrop for hitters was just straight forest and center field and right field were just covered in forest. So it was a nice backdrop for hitters. But Traverse City um, was one that I got my first hit there. Um, Someone got hurt in the fourth game of the season, my rookie year. And I came in and got two hits in Traverse City. And my father and my brother were actually there. That game when it happened, just had happened to, to be there. I wouldn't have played if someone didn't get hurt, probably. But, you know, everything happens for a reason and they were there. So also it was it was like, you know, very beachy there, obviously. Right. They were the beach bums and I'm from Jersey and love the Jersey Shore and the beach. So obviously, um, you know, always like playing there. So, yeah, tra- Traverse City used to get a little chilly at night, I remember. And uh, the broadcast booth there was was like a it was like a major league uh, press box. It was just so laid out, big, huge. Uh, you know, everything a broadcaster would need. So, um, but I think guys, one of the things that makes minor league baseball so special, you know, like I'm making the connection between myself as a broadcaster and you guys as the players, we all have that, that goal, right. To make it to the majors where we all have that ambition to get to the top of the profession. We're fighting, we're, we're scratching, we're clawing. And uh, I think that's why the bond between us is so great, right? We all have that that goal and we're all kind of fighting for the same thing. Uh, let's start with you, Ben. Uh, uh, I, I really think the bond, the bond is really special in minor league baseball. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a fraternity to it. If you hear a lot of guys talk about it, there's a, there's a brotherhood there. There is a strong connection that you develop with uh, certain players, especially. Um, I can tell you firsthand, um, you know, I still remember plays. I still remember bus rides. I still remember certain games, just like we're discussing now. But um, more than that, it, you really develop some friendships uh, throughout the years that, that stand the test of time. And I know as I've traveled on from one team to another, kind of as a journeyman reliever, um, which was a privilege, by the way, just to be able to play for four years. Um, I developed a lot of friendships, man. And, and some of those guys are still with me today. Um, I'm coaching with one of them now, you know, one of my best friends. And, and that's, uh, that's just a, a gift, really. And so you don't take it for granted when you're, when you're out of the game. I think when you're in the game, you have a tendency to just kind of play each day. And you start to realize as your career starts to dwindle down a little bit. I think we all kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, those moments were really special and you, you'd go back in a heartbeat to be able to relive those moments with those guys. Yeah. What about, what about you, Murph? Uh, talk a little bit about the bond uh, that, that is created in baseball. Oh, it's, I mean, it's second to none. Cause I mean, I tell everybody all the time. I mean, yes, I miss obviously playing, you know, the ins and outs of the games, but I mean, honestly, what I miss most is, you know, the locker room, you know, in there, you know, shooting the shit with the guys being idiots, um, getting to know ins and outs of everybody. Because if you think of it, I mean, in your typical day, typical season, you're spending more time you do with these guys than you would wife, family, girlfriend, right? you know, kids. You're spending, I mean, let's just say 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, if not more before after games so there's a there is a big bond that gets there Mm. and 
again, that's 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 kind of what we miss the most is just is that bond when it comes to you know locker room and hanging out with friends. Absolutely. And Jeff, with Facebook, we get to kind of stay connected with our baseball brethren, right? So that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I I always thank uh, Jeff Long, who uh, played with the Kalamazoo Kings, obviously, when I was there and a year following that. Um, I played with Jeff in 03, uh, the New England Collegiate, you know, Woodbat Summer League uh, for the Danbury Westerners in Connecticut. And four years later, undrafted through the summer, November comes around and I get a, a text or a call from Jeff Long saying, hey, you want to come to spring training and try out, you know, we need an outfielder and, you know, I can get you, get you a tryout. And if that doesn't happen, you know, and I don't stay connected with Jeff Long and, you know, through the years, you know, that, that, you know, I might not get that opportunity to, to play pro ball, which was obviously so special in many ways, which both of these guys have already discussed, you know, the, the ins and outs, the, you know, the, the working towards something, you know, a common goal with a team is something that, you know, translates past baseball into, you know, um, you know, after baseball life. And I've seen that firsthand, but really, you know, like you said, Facebook and, and through other, you know, social media sources, it's really great to, to be able to see, you know, what other guys are doing and stay connected with people and their families and their kids. And um, yeah, the, the brotherhood, you know, I'm involved on a Facebook uh, group, you know, retired or, you know, minor league baseball players. And, you know, it's just like being in a locker room when you're in the group, right? Sometimes it gets a little out of hand, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all baseball players or former baseball players. And, you know, that's what's really special about it. I'm going to bring up the comeback game and see if you guys remember it. It was a game against Southern Illinois where I believe in the top of the night, the Kings gave up something like six or seven runs and they battled back to win it. You guys battled back to win it. I believe it was 12 to 11. Uh, you scored like eight in the bottom of the ninth and Jet Ruiz had a walk-off yeah, home, yeah, home walk run. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that was the most incredible uh, comeback experience I've ever seen on a baseball field. I'm wondering if you guys remember it, how it was like uh, to kind of go through that. I do remember it. And it was, the game was pretty close the whole time. And then literally top of the ninth, Miners just blew up for seven, eight runs, whatever it was. Mm. And I mean, it, dugout was kind of a, you know what you expect to be after giving up seven, eight runs in the inning, especially going into the bottom of the ninth. And I remember Fran just saying he was just like, just, just give me base runners, you know, just give me base runners, and we'll chip away, see what happens. Next thing we know, it, we did just that. Base runners came, base runners came, singles, doubles. Um, surprisingly, it, we, we, I remember we did it all on our own that really the miners didn't, there was no errors. In yeah, that we yeah. just, we literally just chipped away. And then, like you said, I think jet hit a, I think it was a two run or a third run walk off to yeah. win it. But yeah, that was, I mean, whoever you thinks you're going to score, you know, 16 runs in the ninth. You guys should have heard the radio call on that. I think I have it somewhere on a, on a tape somewhere. So I'll, I'll have to dig that up. But Jeff, I think you were there too. Was that, was that the craziest comeback you've ever been a part of? Um, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to remember. Was it home or away? It was, was at home. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that was 2009. Nine. That was 2009. Yeah. You were there gross. 
Yeah, so I wonder. I I bet you uh, I I might not have been in the game because um, I got I think I got hurt that year. That was the year I I busted my thumb up and was out. But yeah, I remember seeing Jet Ruiz uh, throwing batting practice in the MLB home run derby one day. I see the back of the jersey yeah. for the Orioles throwing. I think it was Adam Jones. And I'm looking I'm like, I know that guy. I played with that guy. That's Jet Ruiz throwing batting practice. And then, you know, it turns out he's the bullpen catcher for the Orioles. But, yeah, I mean, it, anything could have happened at Homer Stryker. I mean, we, we were pretty uh, pretty deadly there, you know, especially late in the game. Um, comebacks, opposite field. You know, I remember just thinking opposite field, right? I mean, what was it? You know, three, you know, 314 down the left field line or something, you know, very short. I, you know, thinking, thinking opposite field and, you know, a lot of home runs for, for us, I remember. Uh, so always good times. Okay. I want to transition into uh, what it, what it's like in the clubhouse of a minor league team. Now you guys can lay it out all out on the table. You can talk about whatever you want, Ben, I'll start with you uh, for, for people that aren't familiar with, uh, the, the baseball culture, like the normal fan, uh, you know, what is it like, uh, you know, in a, in a clubhouse, for example, a rain delay, or just, you know, talk about what that's like. <laughs> well, that, that, uh, yeah. that Cal- <laughs> yeah, Jeff is sharing it right now that uh, we'll start with 2009. We had a six o'clock techno hour and oh, yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, Six o'clock techno hour was probably the most fun I've had in a locker room in a long time. I mean, you would get that. I think it was Amos would always uh, he would always get it going. Him and Joe D. And I know Gross was in on it too. You guys would have a playlist, and that would just start pumping. I mean, that playlist would start pumping, and it got wild, man. I remember loving. When six o'clock hit, I used to look forward to that. And um, th- those moments were always just special, man. It's, it's, the clubhouse is crazy, depending on the situation. If you get a rain delay, I think people get pretty wacky. Uh, just being honest, I think people get a little stir crazy. They want to play ball. They're, they're heated up. They're ready to roll. Um, but I, I personally hated rain delays. I always hated them. But the, the warm up for us, uh, that whole coming in from BP, Man, that was a blast. Those are that 2009 season leading up for you know those hours before the game. We had some great talks, uh, great memories, a lot of dance offs. Um, there was some, like Grossy was showing on the video there. There was a lot of good dances being thrown around. Je- Jeff can move a little bit. I'll give him that. He can move a little bit. For the guy up there. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Do you, do you? Can you share anything about what it's like uh, in the baseball culture in the locker room for? Uh, those uh, fans that are maybe would not be familiar with it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll I guess I'll give two uh, different perspectives of, of the locker room and, and one would be in a spring training type atmosphere or uh, maybe in a, in a fall season for college where, you know, there's a possibility of getting cut from the team or, you know, but I, I vividly remember spring training, you know, my, my rookie year and even every year in spring training, you know, the atmosphere in the locker room is, is a little more intense and and serious and there's meetings and people are sent home um every couple of days and it you know for me it was you know I was at the Red Roof Inn and I remember being there with Simon Williams and, and Keith Brockholt and um you know I was nervous every day so every day I showed up and you know 
ball and did my best to ball out, you know, so that I can 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 fight to see another day. So that that's one side of it, right? And then then you get into the you know what what Ben was talking about, and you know once you get into a season with the team and and things start you know get moving, um, you know you start to build that chemistry in the locker room, and you hear a lot about clubhouse guys, you know, when they're talking about MLB guys, and it is important to have you know a good nucleus and you know group of guys you know, that's going to keep things, you know, in line and check um, so that they don't get, you know, too far out of line. You know, there's there's kind of a line you draw there between, you know, having fun and getting amped up and ready for a game and, and maybe taking it too far after a game or, you know, somewhere else, you know, off the complex. So you, you always got to stay together as a team. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it, it's more than just baseball. It's life, you know. So um, th those are the things that I've taken from the game and, you know, building – you know, team chemistry and locker rooms and, and so forth. Well, you know, if you want to read a great baseball book, if you haven't read it already, it's a book called The Bronx Zoo. It was written by Sparky Lyle, who played for the 78 Yankees. You guys will love that book. Being the baseball guys that you are, I, I highly recommend it. It gives a really fun uh, account of what a major league uh, uh, you know, atmosphere is like. So I got to bring up another guy that we all played with. And Murph, I'll start with you. Uh, our, our good buddy, Brandon Anderson, who uh, I was trying to track him down to be on the podcast tonight, but uh, B.A., an outfielder uh, from my home state of Massachusetts, uh, he was such a fun guy to play with, wasn't he? And, and uh, you know, I, I know I think about him a lot and maybe share some uh, thoughts about him as a teammate. Well, <clears throat> kind of to piggyback off what uh, Ben said kind of earlier in the in the episode, uh, just not BA, but BA, Jeff, and Simon, literally easily the best outfield trio ever, yeah. ever played with. Like, it was one of those things when your Thank slowest you. outfield runs the 6'5, it's like, all right, this is, this is legit. Because, um, like Ben said, if that ball was in the air, it was never touching the ground once mm. it got out there. <clears throat> but BA, BA was, he was just, he, I mean, an old Irish term, just salt of the earth, just a great human being. I mean, always there for you, always, always, always willing to go take a few hacks if you're extra hacks if you're struggling, um, take some extra, you know, fly balls, always there to try to help. He, he just had a very, very um, caring and just he, he honestly wanted to help you to be your best and hopefully get you to where you wanted to be, whether it happened or not. He was, he was always there to help. He was just, he was a great human being. I remember one game at uh, Lake Erie where he was called out on strikes. Jim Shally was the home plate umpire. Oh God. And, and the, the, <laughs> the, the pitch was literally two feet below his knees and BA got rung up. He got so mad. He slammed his helmet. And his bat, and you never see him do anything like that. And uh, it was probably the only time he got ejected in his career with the Kings. But uh, I guess Ben, with umpires, uh, do you keep track of the umpires and, and where their preferences are? You know, like Kurt Schilling used to have a notebook for umpires. Do you? Did you keep a mental uh, note of umpires when you were pitching? Oh, 100%. That's yeah. a God's honest truth. Um, I did it more so. As I got a little more seasoned, um, I kept track of the umpires, um, but you knew you had a pretty good understanding of their zones. 
Um, you knew who was a hitter's umpire. You knew who was a pitcher's umpire. Um, that's usually pretty obvious, especially if you talk with a lot of the guys in the dugout. <laughs> those uh, those position players will tell you pretty quick what the zone is. Um, and if you pay attention to that, I think it's it can really uh, set set a game apart, especially in the later innings. Um, your starters can can work towards that. Uh, relievers have a pretty good idea of what's going, uh, what side of the plate's open, what side of the plate's closed. Um, certain umpires are just more fun to throw to. Shally was a is a fun umpire to throw to. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll say that he had a he had a pretty pretty um, expansive zone. Um, my favorite umpire to throw to was Joe. Um, I always loved Joe, man. He was, he was as real as they come. Uh, I went back a few years ago to the, the minors games. Um, I actually did my master's internship with the Southern Illinois minors uh, to get my master's degree in sports administration. And when I was there working the front office, Joe uh, was umpiring a game and he came right up to me and knew who I was, uh, which was amazing after all these years. And, uh, he, he immediately came up to me and we talked and man, he was, he was one of the better ones, but there were some guys that you definitely knew to answer your question. Yeah. You, you definitely kept a log. You and your catcher knew exactly what was happening. Uh, whether you came in as a starter or whether you came in as a reliever. And I think that's very advantageous to you. Uh, you just don't like the guys that are tight. Cause man, you got to throw it over the plate and that's just never fun. So now you give those hitters a chance. Hey, do, you, do you guys remember that hotel in Florence on the road? Uh, that was a difficult hotel to stay in. I don't know why that, that just, I don't know why that popped into my head, but uh, Murph, as, as nice as that hotel looked on the outside, you couldn't say as much for the inside. No, the Wildwood Inn. Yeah, that's, that was it. Yeah. yeah. That thing. My roommate first year was Matt Hudgens and I remember going in and the, what the not only did he get bed bugs, but there was a lighter, and literally, this is no joke, there's a lighter and a cigarette underneath um, his pillowcase, like in between his pillow and his pillowcase, like someone was saving it for later when we first checked in. I was like, this is only at the Wildwood Inn will this happen. Okay, but the good news about that area was that we had shakies across the street, so you could go there after the game. At yes. Yes. Three, three o'clock in the morning yes. and, and have a beer, right, Ben? <laughs> oh, Shakey's was my joint, John. That was uh, that was my place, especially after I got traded to Florence. I was I I think I still probably own the highest tab there. I don't know. It's got to be it's got to be a record. So. We had some great nights in that place, and I was sad to hear that it uh, went out of business not long ago, but. Uh, you know, that's we talk about that bonding process, Jeff, and it's those kind of things, you know, going out for a beer and a, and a meal after a game. And it's just part of the process. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. But, you know, I tell people, you know, playing pro ball was was different than than everything, you know, than anything, any other baseball I played before, because it was literally you were just playing ball. That was it. You know, you were playing ball. Or, or you were going, you know, to hang out with your teammates after you played ball and then you'd wake up and, and do it all over again, go back to the field. You're with the team for, you know, eight hours a day at the field. And then, you know, after the game, you're, you're with your team again, you know, hanging out. So, you know, it, it was really a, a great experience. Well, we also were going to have Bernie Robert on the uh, podcast tonight. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like uh, he's going to make it, but uh, 
Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to send him a copy of this as well. And and I got a kick out of watching him pitch, Ben. You know, and he had that Louisiana drawl, and he had some good games with the Kings, didn't he? Yeah, man. He uh, Bernie was unique. That's a uh, that's a fun way of putting it. But uh, man, he uh, he was an interesting character. But the dude could pitch. He could flat out pitch. He had a he, in my opinion, he obviously had one of the best straight changeups I've personally been around. Um, I always picked his brain on how he threw that changeup. He had them that long hair that he came in with the spring training. Uh, it was a pretty gnarly look. It looked like he just rolled in off the swamps, you know, shooting gators or whatever he was doing down there. But uh, <laughs> he was a he was a great dude. He, uh, I remember he had a fantastic outing. We are in Traverse City, and he took a no-hitter, I think, into the seventh or the eighth. Um, and it was one of those cold nights. And I remember the defense behind him was just playing great. I think B.A. or Grossi laid out in the outfield on one play and, like, deep in the game, sixth or seventh inning to keep that no-hitter alive. I think he went eight innings or so before he gave it up. But that was one of the best outings I've seen from Bernie. And he had a lot of good ones to go with it. But, man, he was a he was a big-time pitcher. He was a good dude. Well, let's talk about what you guys are doing now. Uh, let's start with you, Murph. I know that we talked a little bit off the air. And, and you're still uh, involved with baseball somewhat, aren't you? Yeah, still involved. Nowhere near as much as I used to be when I just got, when I just got out. Uh, but I still work at um, um, a place called Turner Baseball Academy mm-hmm. here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they have um, their travel team that works out of it. It's called Exposure. Um, they have, what, 9U all the way up to 18U when it comes to teams. Um, back in the day, I used to be doing, you know, 40, 50 kids a week. Now it's more four or five, maybe just enough for some, you know, beer money, date night money. Um, but now, unfortunately, back in the, back in the real world doing um, commercial insurance, for uh, businesses so not as much fun as you know hitting fastballs 400 feet but well after uh, after we went our separate ways i thought of you murph because i used to work for an indie an indie team called the north shore spirit here in massachusetts we used to have road games in worcester and uh the interstate ran right outside the ballpark and during batting practice guys would hit balls onto the interstate it was that close to the outfield wall i would have loved to have seen you taking batting practice there that would have been a trip that would have been something I would have been aiming to hit over. Sure. <laughs> uh, how about you, Jeff? What, what are you up to these days? Um, yeah, so uh, currently, you know, my son's eight years old. You know, I'm heavily involved with the Little League uh, on the board, you know, the vice president of baseball for the Little League. So volunteering a lot of time there. Um, also the travel director for the, you know, the travel teams that that play out of the Little League, um, you know, ages seven through uh, 11 next year. Uh, I also do private instruction. I started doing that, uh, private hitting instruction a couple of years ago. So I do some of that on the side when I, you know, when I have time for it, but my full-time job is with FedEx as a security manager. Uh, I cover Manhattan, Bronx and Yonkers area and, and uh, portion of New Jersey. So, uh, keeping busy, you know, between work, work life, uh, professional life and, you know, coaching my son's teams, you know, keep, keeping busy for sure. And Ben, how about you? What are your, uh, what are your, what is your work responsibility now? Yeah, sorry, John, just cut out there a little bit, but uh, I think we're talking about everybody's careers. So right. 
Um, yeah, uh, li like Jeff and Brendan stated, uh, I'm I'm still pretty heavy into baseball. Um, right now, I have taken a job the last, uh, about three months ago, I took a job as a general manager of a CrossFit gym here called CrossFit Dig Deep. Uh, I've kind of bounced into that lifestyle. I've got a master's in sports administration. So it, uh, it was a nice change of pace. I used to do lessons like Brendan, about 40 to 50 kids. I was pushing through the academy here in Paducah, uh, Kentucky, where I reside. I've got a nine-year-old son. Uh, he plays travel baseball. So I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of work with the Kentucky Prospects, which is a travel organization from the ages of about 12 to 17U. Um, I just got done with my 17U group. I had about four or five guys go division one, couple other guys get uh, some offers to JUCO Division II. Um, just actually came back from a signing day today with a few of those players. So that was a nice little thing to be a part of. And um, other than that, just kind of working, like Jeff said, balancing professional life with personal life and uh, getting some baseball in on the side, man. Great stuff. Well, listen, guys, before we wrap it up for the uh, evening, uh, I'm going to ask you just uh, to share one final memory, anything you want about the Kalamazoo Kings, anything that comes to mind, uh, just one final thought about the experience and being here for the podcast. And I'll start with you, Murph. Oh, me. I'd have to say probably one thing that I remember from the old playing days, honestly, again, I'm just going to go back to um, just the, the locker room and just the guys like I mean we really had an amazing amazing group of guys not only baseball wise but also um just uh just character wise you know like you really did have a great group of guys and that's the one thing that I still to this day remember and wish wish I could still take apart from and probably too that um that home run I hit at Chillicothe <laughs> yeah, I, I called every one of your home runs you hit there so I, I I'm sure that will come back to me as well um, how about you Jeff uh, just as we wrap it up you know one final uh, thought or memory that you want to share before we go off the air um, so you know I, I just want to you know we spoke about Fran Reardon um, earlier but I want to bring up you know we're, we're talking about the Kalamazoo Kings I want to bring up that one of the guys who who also was involved in bringing us there and that's Joe Rosenhagen yeah uh, Joe an unbelievable general manager um, for us and you know I think it we you know um, his name should definitely be brought up here you know in appreciation for for what he did for for myself and I know a lot of the other guys but one in-game memory or one game that sticks out to me is um I hit two home runs in one game um left left field left center field um you know homer striker but I also we ended up getting blown out that game and I came in to pitch that game and actually um, you know, so I have professional stats for pitching. Um, I believe I pitched, um, two, <laughs> two innings, uh, hit, hit a couple people or I hit one person, walked a guy, struck out a guy. So pretty, uh, so, something that I'll, I'll always remember two home runs in one game and, you know, getting my first pro, uh, pitching experience. You know, you mentioned Joe Rosenhagen and I have to just add when I was desperately looking for work, when the North shore spirit were going under. I sent out my email and my uh, resume and, uh, and uh, demo to ev pra practically every team in the country. But I remember Joe 
uh, talking to me on the phone and making me feel wanted. You know, he said, yeah. he said, we want you here. We want you here. And that was a big decision. That was a big reason why I got in my car and drove 16 hours to Western Michigan, because he really made me feel wanted. And I know you guys can can relate to that on a very real level. Yep. Um, ben, how about you? Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up? Any specific memory or any thought you want to share before we uh, call it a night? Uh, yeah, just a couple of things. I, I like Jeff touched on. I think that was really important to bring up, Joe. Um, I also think it's important to, you know, speak to the degree of what Fran brought to the table and, and also yourself. I think um, for me, the Kalamazoo Kings will always be special because with uh, without Fran, without Joe, I would have never had an opportunity. I was an undrafted guy out of college, just like Jeff. Um, you know, the odds are always stacked against guys like us. Uh, not a tall pitcher. I was 5'10". I was right-handed, had everything that nobody wanted. <laughs> and um, that was a big deal to me, um, to, to be able to have that opportunity, to be able to, you know, relish that moment and to have those those guys around you that are working just as hard as you. We've talked about that locker room culture. And those guys were, for lack of better terms, those guys were savages on the ball field, man. They really went after it. Um, there wasn't one guy that I didn't respect. There was everybody showed up to play. Everybody went after it. The one guy I always want to uh, reference when I think about the Kings, uh, just from me on a personal standpoint, because I think pitchers always latch on to other pitchers was, was John Brownell. Um, Brownie was, was single-handedly the most influential pitcher I've ever had um, in my career. When I had my first two outings, they were horrible outings. And uh, one of the best things I ever did was pick a spot next to Brownie's locker after spring training when Fran informed me I made the team. And I'll never forget my decision to do that because it was probably one of the best decisions of my life. Mm. Um, he sat me down, Brownie did, and he, he talked me through it. He helped me. He made me take a journal of all my outings and just kind of set the tone for the rest of my career. And I know I don't get to speak with him much. I think I've reached out a couple times, but if you want to talk about someone who's deserving of every accolade, deserving of every piece of attention and article written about him, that's a guy, in my opinion, that's done it at one of the highest levels. And I'll always have respect for and a lot of thanks for him and Fran and guys like Brennan and, and Jeff here, Joe. I mean, you guys are what made it work and you guys are what made it fun. And that's what the game's about. It's about having fun and playing it at the highest level and being a consummate professional. Absolutely. And, and I also have to bring up, uh, I remember a game that started at 10.05 p.m. because we had a three-hour rain delay. Uh, I don't know how tough it was for you guys, but when you're on the radio, man, that, that's tough to, to hang yeah. around for three hours. That's tough on anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But one, had, one, thing, one thing I did want to remember is see if uh, Grossi remembered this first year when just before the field flooded, do you remember when we were, you were already taking batting practice and I tried to run down there and I tried to take the shortcut and then scalp myself. Do you remember <laughs> being the first person there to help me? <laughs> yeah. Craig and sliced his whole head open uh, yeah. in our wonderful batting cage under the uh, away bleachers at Kalamazoo. Yeah. You know, I, I remember that, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah, ended up, yeah. what, like 14 stitches, like seven staples, all because of that, you know, me thinking I was an athlete and trying to duck under. Hey, the hairline looks great, though. You're good, partner. I mean, yeah, <laughs> fixed it up real nice. <laughs> and, and knowing you, you probably cranked out two home runs that night. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. The one thing nobody ever talked about was our awesome hacky sack sessions that we had before games. Oh, yeah. Nobody please ever brought that up. Well, please share that while we have a few minutes. Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say, man, I was from the West Coast and I had never really picked up a hacky sack, which I know probably sounds like sacrilege, but I jumped in there with, with Jeff and B.A. and Brownie and, Brownie, yeah. and Robert. Uh, those guys were those guys could really hack it up and I had no I had no idea what I was doing by the end of the time by the end of my time with the Kings I was halfway decent and when I went to another team I tried to pull out a hacky sack and everybody was like what the hell are you doing <laughs> so I guess it was like a, I guess it was just a clubhouse thing but man I, I always loved that those hacky sack sessions Joe D was big on it too yeah that was that you know we had that we had that we had something special there in Kalamazoo, you know, is, you know, there was, there would be, I think up to like, you know, there, sometimes there'd be 12 of us or 15 of us doing playing hacky yeah. sack, you know, and it was, we thought that it was actually good because, you know, after the games, it was, you know, a way to kind of stretch out a little bit, you know, you know, do, do a little exercise, but nothing, you know, too crazy, but, you know, it was also, you know, fun and, stalling and gesturing and you know i hadn't hacky sack yeah. much before that but you know we had some fun doing it while we were there oh yeah well guys i want to thank you so much for spending uh, this night with us uh as i said i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna air this on thanksgiving week and and i know that uh, a lot of our listening audience will, will really enjoy this little stroll down memory lane and I, I hope the next time we get together it's in person and uh, maybe we can do a podcast episode over a few beers and uh and really live the uh, live the memory. So uh, I want to thank all of you guys for stopping in tonight. Well, thank Thanks, you, John, John for your witness. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate it. All right. We've been talking with uh, three members of the Kalamazoo Kings back in the days, pitcher Ben Shivers, outfielder Jeff Gross, designated hitter Brendan Murphy. I'm going to ask you guys to stay on for just a couple of seconds uh, while we wrap things up. You're listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's Locker Room, and uh, next week, we'll have another Frontier League guy with us, the former broadcaster of the Washington Wild Things, Randy Gore, will be stopping in to join us. So we'll have some good talk. So uh, we invite you to stay with us. We'll have more on the podcast next week. All right, guys, again, thanks so much. I truly appreciate it. I'm going to make sure each one of you gets a copy of this. Awesome. Uh, Thanksgiving, yeah. Thanksgiving week, we're going to uh, put it out on social media. Uh, you guys are welcome to help me uh, share it, help me get it out there. I'm looking to, for help with the numbers. So yeah. anything, anything you guys want to do on that in that regard would be helpful and appreciated and very much appreciated. 100%, John. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll help you out, man. Yeah. All right, all right. Need to help. All right, fellas, thanks again for being with us. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you next time. Thanks, Absolutely. Guys, Great fun. to talk to you. All you. Appreciate yeah. it. See you guys. All right. See you happy, guys. happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, happy Have a good one, boys. All right, take care. The Ted Williams Camp alumni is raising funds for the Jimmy Fund. Each time they have surpassed their goal, and for their 2022 event, they hope to do the same. 
They are looking for any and all donations, such as items, services, tickets, gift cards, etc., for their ongoing online auction and their in-person auction at their main event. If any businesses would be willing to have a canister or host a fundraising event, they'd love to get you on the schedule. Thank you in advance for your support. Feel free to contact Fabuloso Weddings and Events or Joe LaRusso on Facebook for any information or questions. The Jimmy Fund, supporting Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.